the National Archives podcast series, Tracing Ancestors in Nelson's Navy, presented by Bruno Papalaro. Thank you for the uh, introduction and welcome to you all to this presentation on Tracing Ancestors in Nelson's Navy. What I aim to do in this talk is identify the main sources and finding aids for tracing both personal and career information about naval officers and ratings who served in Nelson's Navy, reveal how these sources can be searched, and explain what kind of information they contain. I must stress that all the documents, books, research guides and finding aids mentioned in this talk are available in or from the National Archives, and the main focus of this talk will be on Royal Naval genealogical and career sources for the period 1750 through to 1815. Before undertaking research in regards of Nelson's Navy at the National uh, Archives, you may find the following guides of use and of interest to you. Firstly, Naval Records for Genealogists by Nan Roger. Tracing Your Naval Ancestors by myself. And tracing your ancestors in the National Archives by Amanda Bevan. The following research guides, um, Royal Naval Officers Service Records and the Royal Naval Rating Service Records, which you should now have uh, in your pack, will also be of use to you. Let's move on to what you, what you need to know or consider before starting a search for a naval ancestor in Nelson's Navy. It is important to know whether your ancestor was an officer or a rating and when they served. In regards to officers, for some records, it is useful to know what rank they held at a given date. For ratings, it is also useful to know the name of a ship they served on and when. Why? Well, in answer to the last question, it is because the records relating to Royal Naval officers and ratings during, during 1750 to 1815 are usually filed separately in a number of different Admiralty series of records, as we shall see during this talk. Before we go on to look at records relating to officers and ratings of Nelson's Navy, it's worthwhile to have a quick overview of the ranks and ratings used at the time. Initially, we have commissioned officers. So these would consist of admirals, also known as flag officers, commodores, captains, commanders, and lieutenants. These officers were placed in charge of ships, squadrons, or naval stations, and were ultimately responsible for the ship discipline on board the ship, battle plans, and fighting tactics. Usually, their careers consisted of employment marked by commissions from the Admiralty, and periods of unemployment in which they were paid half pay, a kind of retainer fee to ensure that their services were kept. After commissioned officers come the warrant officers. These would consist of masters, surgeons, pursers, chaplains, gunners, boatswains, carpenters, surgeons, mates, armourers, sail makers, master at arms, corker, rope makers and coopers. Although employed, employed by the Admiralty, most warrant officers were regulated by specific administrative bodies such as the Navy Board or Trinity House. These officers undertook specialist functions on board ship. For example, the surgeon was responsible for the health of the crew. Ultimately, these officers were responsible to the captain of the ship. 
after these two distinct groups of officers come the people, the many different types of ratings employed by the Navy. These include master's mate, midshipmen, quartermasters, quarter gunners, captains of the top, waist and afterguard, able seamen, ordinary seamen, landsmen, captain servant, volunteer first class, boy first class, boy second to third class. Point to note here is that the ratings of master's mate, captain servant, midshipman, volunteer first class and boy first class were different in status to other ratings as they were men training to become officers. Some ratings, such as captains of the top, waist and afterguard, were responsible for certain parts of the ship, whereas the rating of landsman was given to a man who had no experience of serving at sea. If your ancestor was an admiral or a captain, it may be quicker and easier to find information about them in printed sources, especially as many commissioned officers come from well-to-do backgrounds or were famous because of great naval victories or feats of exploration. Standard biographical sources such as the Dictionary of National Biography, British Biographical Archives, Burke's Peerage are worth bearing in mind. In addition, there are, there are a number of naval biographical secondary sources, such as Marshall's Naval Biography, Charnock's Biographia Navalis, which relate to com commissioned officers worth noting. A key secondary source is, D is Donardo's and Surrett's Commissioned Officers of the Royal Navy, 1660 to 1850, 1815, sorry. This lists all commissioned officers from 1660 to 1815, it also provides dates of seniority for all the ranks an officer attained throughout their career. It also provides dates of death and also indicates whether the officer served at the Battle of Trafalgar. Importantly, it gives a framework to use for searching the records themselves. Patrick Marioni's The Complete Navy List of the Napoleonic Wars is also a significant finding aid for tracing both personal and career details of commissioned officers. Like Surrett and Donardo, it lists significant career milestones of commissioned officers. For example, in this entry to Sir Philip Charles Henderson Calderwood Durham, it provides dates of entry into the Navy and various dates of seniority. But it also includes genealogical details such as place of baptism, parents, brother and sisters' names, marriage details, dates of death, references to wills and details of the secondary sources used. Marioni's work, which is name searchable, can be accessed through our online electronic resources free of charge through the public computers in the reading rooms. Another important naval biographical source is O'Burn's, a naval biographical dictionary. This provides detailed biographical information for all commissioned officers alive on the 1st of January 1845. Here we have a very detailed personal and career account of the famous Arctic explorer Sir John Franklin, who served as a midshipman on HMS Bellerophon at the Battle of Trafalgar. Finally, to end this part of the talk on secondary sources, we should not forget the Navy list, which up to 1805 lists all commi commissioned officers, masters, surgeons and purses in the Royal Navy. Also, to bear in mind that it only from about 1810 does it list ships with names of officers serving on, on them.
and that we hold copies of the Navy List uh, from 1782 to 1987. I would like to move on and look at the main original record sources relating to officers. It's important to remember that the Admiralty really only began to keep officers' service records systematically from the 1840s. This means there are no service records for many officers who served in Nelson's Navy. Therefore, personal and career data about officers needs to be pieced together from many diverse records. If you are researching an officer who served in Nelson's Navy who is still alive in the 1840s, there is a possibility that their service record will be found in the record series ADM 196, available in digital form on Documents Online, part of the National Archives website. At the end of the Napoleonic Wars in 1815, commissioned officers were asked to submit information about their careers to the Admiralty. Manning levels shrank from a wartime total of 145,000 to peacetime levels of 19,000. Consequently, there were less jobs, so the Admiralty carried out surveys to decide which officers would be most suitable for employment. These so-called surveys taken in 1817 and 1846 can be found in ADM 9, to which there are name indexes in the research inquiries room. We have also started to index uh, these records uh, and ADM 9 pieces 1 to 9 are now available to search by name on our online computer, sorry, on our online catalogue. This is a typical example of an 1817 survey, in this instance that of George Canning, a lieutenant who served on HMS Akil at the Battle of Trafalgar. Written in his own hand, the survey records his various ratings and ranks, the names of ships he served on, names of admirals captains served under, where the ship was stationed, and the date of entry and discharge from each ship. This reveals some of the problems with these documents. Canning noted on his survey that he did not have his papers with him, so was, un was unable to state with precision his previous service, but it is to the best of his recollection. Moreover, some officers failed to return their surveys, some were lost, some do not survive, and also, not surprisingly, some office officers embellished their returns. Similar survey returns uh, for masters for 1822 and 1833 to 1835 can be found in ADM 1063517 and ADM 11 pieces 2 to 3. For gunners, bosuns, and carpenters 1816 to 1818 in ADM 11 pieces 35 to 37. For pursers for 1836 in ADM 6 193 to 196. Chaplains 1833 1834 in ADM 1141. The next source I would like to talk about are passing certificates. Most commissioned and warrant officers in the course of their career passed a qualifying examination. Subsequently, these are key documents in tracing genealogical information and the initial stages of an officer's career. The National Archives holds Lieutenant's passing certificates for 1691 through to 1902 in ADM 6, ADM 13 and ADM 107. 
a lieutenant's passing certificate was given to those would-be commissioned officers who successfully passed an examination which qualified them for lieutenancy and had provided proof they had served the requisite time of six years at sea and were aged 20 or over when they took the examination. Therefore, all lieutenants, captains and admirals, in theory, should have taken this examination. This is a typ typical example of a lieutenant's passing certificate, in this case that of Arthur Short, who was a midshipman on HMS Secure at the Battle of Trafalgar. It records the names of ships he served on when he joined the Navy in 1803 to when he passed his examination in 1810, place where born, his age on joining the Navy, the date he joined and left ships and the ratings he held. If you're really fortunate, some commissioned officers have more than one passing certificate. This is the case with Arthur Short, which may provide additional information. From 1789, passing certificates often are accompanied with copies of baptismal or birth certificates. In this example, we see that Arthur was born on the 21st of January 1788 and that it was registered at St. Leonard Shoreditch, Middlesex, and that his parents' names were Arthur and Anne Herietta Short of Craven Street. A nominal index to these lieutenants' passing certificates has been published by the List and Index Society. The publication provides full document references to the passing certificates and also indicates whether the certificates have evidence of birth or baptism. Still on the theme of passing certificates, we also hold passing certificates for, for bosuns 1810 to 1813 in ADM 6-122, for gunners for 1731 through to 1812 in ADM 6123 to 129, and for purses 1813 to 1820 in ADM 6-120. The next source that I would like to focus on are full pay records. These cover the payment of wages to both commissioned and warrant officers on active service. They can be found in ADM 24 for the period 1795 through to 1872. And they are arranged in date order and by rank. Name indexes to these records can be found in the ADM 24 series. This is an example of a full pay record for Lieutenant John Cook for 1801 through to 1807. It is a pay record. No other personal details are given, but it does list the names of ships served on. If there are breaks in active service in the careers of officers, a search of half pay records is recommended. Officers who were not in active employment were paid half pay. This was a fee to retain their services However, sometimes it was used as a form of pension. Half-pay records for 1693 to 1924 can be found in ADM 25. They are arranged by date and many contain sur surname indexes by rank. Here we have a half-pay record in ADM 25 for 1790 to, to 91 showing an entry for, for Horatio Nelson. It shows when half-pay commenced and ending ended and which ship an officer went on to join. In the case of Thomas Lennox 
Frederick, his entry shows he was re-employed again on 10th of May 1790, being, being appointed to HMS Romulus. This entry shows when the half pay was paid, the amount and to whom. This tended to be naval agents. If an officer stayed on half pay, these records can be searched to verify when the officer died. Full and half pay records can be used as they were to piece together officers' service careers. Another way of doing this, this is to use the commission and warrant books. A commission or warrant was necessary for each appointment an, an officer received. These records are useful in tracing the career progression of officers. And they can be found in ADM 6 for 1695 through to 1846, and they're arranged by date. There are name indexes to these records for 1695 through to 1789 in reading rooms. This is an extract for the Commission and Warrant Book of 1803, showing the appointment of Reverend Lawrence Hines Halloran on the 23rd of June 1803 as chaplain to HMS Britannia. That ends the part of the talk about sources in regards to officers. I'd like to move on to ratings. The Admiralty did not keep service records for each rating until 1853 with the introduction of continuous service. Pre-1853, ratings were employed and laid off depending on the manpower requirements of the Royal Navy, which was always more acute in times of war. So the career of many of the ratings who served in Nelson's Navy will need to be pieced together from a number of sources. The main source for tracing genealogical and career information pre-1853 about ratings are ships, musters and paybooks, which are in effect crew lists. Ships, musters and paybooks range in date from 1668 to 1884 and can be found in ADM 31 through to 3941, 115 and 117. These records provide the following type of information for ratings only. Age and place of birth from 1761. Dates of death. From 1758, they also indicate those men remitting or allotting pay to next of kin. They also uh, may show if an officer or rating was discharged to, an host to a hospital. Hosp hospital musters for 1740 to 1860 can be found in the National Archives in the series ADM 102. These records also indicate what sh ship uh, an officer or rating had previously served on and went on to join. To establish whether the National Archives holds a ship's, ship's muster, all you need to do is type the name of the ship and dates of interest into our online catalogue. This is an this is an extract of the muster of HMS Triumph dated 1771 on which we find a lowly captain servant by the name of Horace Nielsen. This in actual fact is Horatio Nelson aged 13 and, and illustrates some of the problems of using these records. These are that names could be spelt incorrectly or variantly and sometimes some entries are blank. This is a typical muster book entry from the time of Nelson's Navy. It relates to HMS Victory and is dated 1805. And it concerns a John Room, which the muster shows is aged 21, 
born in Battersea, Surrey, and serving as a landsman. Musters from this time also indicate which men made allotments and remittances. Entries in these columns can be followed up. I will touch on how to do this later on in the talk. It is important to bear in mind when using musters that they do not give genealogical information about commissioned and warrant officers, such as age or place of birth, as shown in this entry relating to Lieutenant Andrew King, but will give this data at the start of an officer's career. For example, as shown here with midshipman Peter Crawford, aged 26 and born in Scotland. As mentioned, uh, to search the, the musters, you need to know what ship a rating served on and, and when. So what happens in those uh, circumstances where you're confident that someone served in the Navy, but you don't know the name of the ship that the individual served on? A possible solution to this is to use the list books in ADM 8, which cover the period 1673 to 1909. The list books record in monthly returns where Royal Navy ships were stationed, both at home and abroad. So, if it's known where a man was at a given date, it's possible to use these books to see which ships were nearest to that location and check their musters to see if the man joined that ship. So, for example, if you knew that someone lived in Cork, Ireland in 1802 and wanted to know what ships were there, you could do so by checking these documents. So here we see that Gorgon, Leda, and Loire and Topaz were there in 1802. I'd like now to move on to remittance and allotment registers. In a bid to make service in the Navy more attractive in the mid-18th century, the Admiralty devised a system whereby warrant officers and ratings could send home part of their pay to next of kin. Remember that musters include columns for recording which men took advantage of this system. However, not every man chose to do so. Remittance registers cover 1795 through to 1839 and are arranged by initial letter of surname and date and can be found in ADM 26 pieces 1 to 20. Allotment registers cover the period 1795 to 1852 and can be found in ADM 27. Many of these registers can now be searched by ship names on our online catalogue. We've also begun to index these records by name. Just to demonstrate uh, this, this, this cataloguing, um, you need to log on to our catalogue and type in the name of the person you are interested in, for example, William Trim, and restrict the search to ADM 27. This will reveal two matches to this name, the first in ADM 27 stroke one, folio 11. And as, as shown, it reveals that William A. William Trim was serving on HMS Boston, gives you his paybook number, his unique paybook number on board the ship, his rank, able seaman, his relation, who's to whom the wages are going to, in this case his mother, uh, Martha, when the allotment was made in 1797, and some additional remarks, which shows that he was discharged on the 8th of January, uh, 1798, to HMS Formidable. 
This is the second uh, entry to William Trim. We're picking up the uh, entry to Formidable, so we've got a, a good indication that it's the same man. So it's HMS Formidable, his paybook number, rank able seaman. He's still paying his wages to his mother, Martha, and he's making that allotment in 1797. And the remarks here show that he was discharged on the 27th of April, 1798, to HMS Queen Charlotte. So using the allotment registers, you can piece together a man's career. The uh, early allotment registers, apart from the information shown, will also give details of where next of kin lived and the number of children. I would now like to touch on certificates of service. If it is known that a rating or a warrant officer was receiving a Greenwich Hospital pension between 1801 and 1894, the recommended place to search would be ADM 29, pieces 1 to 96. Many of these records can now be searched by name on the catalogue. Greenwich Hospital, incidentally, was responsible for administering both in and out pensions and was the naval equivalent of Chelsea Hospital for Army Pensioners. So if you find trace of an ancestor who was a Greenwich Hospital pensioner, there is a strong chance they had served in the Navy. Apart from applications for pensions, the service records in ADM 29-1-96 were also created for applications relating to the entry of children of ratings or warrant officers killed or disabled in action into Greenwich Hospital School for medals and gratuities and the removal of run from service records. These documents are available on microfilm and are arranged by date of application, which could be many years after the, after the applicant left the service or who had died. I'm going to use an example on how to search these records on the catalogue. John Room, alias Rome, who served on HMS Victory at the Battle of Trafalgar as a landsman and who was a Greenwich Hospital in pensioner in 1847. It's alleged that Room received tips at Greenwich Hospital for, from visitors by claiming he, he hoisted the famous signal, England expects that every man will do his duty. So going back to the search, um, if you type the name into the word or phrase box, restrict the search to ADM 29, this shows a match to this name in ADM 29 stroke 30 page 511. And this is the information uh, about John Room found in the document in question. You will note the page number 511 in the top left hand corner. This is the original page number, not the stamped folio number that, that is found on microfilm, usually here at the National Archives. It also provides his age on joining the Navy, 21. So from this, a rough date of birth can be derived. The names of each of the ships he served on, uh, dates of joining and leaving from each named ships, his ratings, and uh, sometimes causes of discharge, which in this case is desertion, and total time served. Sometimes these documents will provide place of birth. However, what is important is that ships he served on are now known and that searches of ships musters can be carried out to find out place of birth and whether he allotted or remitted part of his pay to next of kin as shown previously when we looked at ship's musters. Also, the dates at the bottom of the record, down here, can be used to trace when a pension may have been granted, in this instance, the 26th of June, 1847. 
In respect to ADM 29, I mentioned that the service records were also created for men applying for entry into Greenwich Hospital as in-pensioners. So if you find a reference to someone in ADM 21, there's also, sorry, ADM 29, there is also a chance that information about him may also be found in applications uh, for admission into Greenwich Hospital, which can be found in ADM 73 pieces 1 to 35. These particular applications are arranged by initial letter of surname and date and date of application and cover 1790 to 1865. ADM 73 pieces 1 to 25 covering the initial letters of surnames A to R can be searched by name on the catalogue. To test this theory, I searched for information about John Room in these records and this is what I found. It it appears to be a duplicate of his ADM 29 service record. However, down the left-hand side, there is an entry which states 1st of July 1847 to be admitted into Greenwich Hospital. This opens up other avenues of research, which are Greenwich Hospital in pension records. Many men who ended up in Greenwich Hospital as in pensioners did so as a result of being injured or wounded in service, or because of being unfit for service as a result of Ill illness or sickness. Between 1793 to 1815, the greatest threat to the lives of men serving in the Navy was disease rather than gunfire. On an annual basis during this period, one man in 31 died as a result of disease or accident, whereas one man in 403 died in battle. Overall, during this period, 84,440 were killed by disease and only 6,540 by enemy action. Many of these casualties would have been cared for by medical officers of the Royal Navy who recorded details of their patients and treatment in journals. Surviving medical officers' journals can be found in the series at the National Archives in ADM 101. We are currently cataloguing over 1,100 journals for the period 1793 to 1880. These can be searched by name, disease, place name and ship's name. So for example, uh, typing in the name of John Barderton into the catalogue for 1805 and restricting the search to, to ADM 101 revealed the following result. A reference in the medical officer's journal for HMS Pickle for 1805. The entry to John Barderton uh, reads that he was aged 21, that he was a seaman, he was taken ill off Cadiz, and that his disease or hurt was Qatar, quite topical nowadays, I guess. He was seized with a headache, shivering, and discharged from the eyes and nose, and he had some cough accompanied with full throbbing pulse. He was taken ill on the 12th of October 1805 and discharged 19th of October 1805 to duty. Two days later, Pickles, probably most of you will be aware, took part in the Battle of Trafalgar and was the ship which took the news of Nelson's death and the, and the famous victory back home. But this is placing him on board that, that ship uh, and giving you the folio numbers within that document so that you can then go and order the, 
file in question. So, on the eve of the 204th anniversary of the Battle of Trafalgar, I would like to draw your attention to the Trafalgar Ancestors part of the National Archives website. Trafalgar Ancestors aims to record all the personal and career information of everybody that served in Nelson's fleet at Trafalgar. I must stress that it is an ongoing project, but nevertheless a significant <laughs> free online resource. So this is what it looks like on, on our website. So if you go into Find Your Trafalgar Ancestor, um, this is the first screen that is quite basic. It says last name, but if you go into Advanced Search, type in the name of the person you are researching. And this is a, a, a very good example of uh, an entry in, in the uh, database, as it were. Um, alternative first names, date of death, obviously uh, Ratio Nelson. Uh, family details, father, mother, parents' date of marriage, and service details, the names of all the ships that uh, Ratio Nelson served on during his life. Quite a few. And the sources from which that information has been found. I've got to stress that not all the uh, uh, entries are worked up in, in, in that level, but that's what we're hoping to do in the long run. And that concludes my talk on uh, tracing ancestors in Nelson's Navy. Thank you. This event was recorded live on the 20th of October 2009 at the National Archives, Kew. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives. All rights reserved. <laughs>